make as much as you can for as long as you can. And then what? And then what? Whoever has the most when he dies wins. Look, it's the American way. Hey, baby brother, what's going on? Oh, this is it. Yep, this is it. So that um, that clip uh, you heard was from a I don't I don't even know the circa, but a Norman Jewison film, uh, Other People's Money, which is based on a stage play, and uh, one of our favorite movies. Uh, uh, we could one could argue the the Trevetti family movie. It could, yeah. Our father is a big fan as well, and uh, it's like an NBA in ninety minutes, or I don't know how many minutes, ninety four minutes, whatever it is. And a great cast, so Danny DeVito, Greg, Gregory Peck, uh, Dean Jones, I think, yeah, yeah. and uh, Piper Laurie, and Penelope Ann Miller. Uh, just a fantastic cast, uh, great, great movie. Uh, I don't know if I already said it, but an NBA in 90 minutes, right? And just, uh, you know, all about the the... The excesses of the 80s and leverage buyouts and, you know, the epitome of uh, American merger drama uh, in a, a funny little movie, right? And so, yeah. I yeah, I threw this one out just because, you know, we've been talking about some of the social injustice and stuff, and we can bring that stuff in, but I thought we would just go headlong into greed and avarice this week. And one of your favorite topics, of course. Obviously. And one of mine as well, probably from different perspectives. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so I thought we'd, we'd take it down this path this week. But I don't, I don't think either one of us comes to it in the uh, Wall Street realm of greed is good. Uh, I think we both acknowledge that greed, for lack of a better term, to use the exact quote, is, is not good. Um, that when you're at the point where you're willing to let others suffer so that you can have stuff, um, you know, and, and, and there are limits, obviously you can't solve everyone's suffering in one fell swoop, but at the point where you're exploiting labor, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're destroying small towns so that you can have what you want. Um, I think we can hopefully, I hope, admit that greed is bad at that level. Um, at, at the very least, we should be able to say that at the moment where we've destroyed parts of our environment for the sake of others' profit, maybe it's not a good thing. Um, in that movie, though, what's fascinating is how much you do sort of side with Garfield's character in some way, uh, his his character, Danny DeVito's character is uh, Lawrence Garfield, who is a, a, a liquidator. He buys companies and he uh, strips them for parts and he sells them and he, you know, Makes pockets profit. the wealth. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it almost hilariously shows the, the opposite side of it, which is that he's very lonely. He has kind of a pathetic, sad life. I mean, he has a nice, you know yard chauffeur and he's got a nice house and he's got a fancy computer that you know does all the things that siri does for now in our pockets i guess i don't know right <laughs> but he's he's living this lonely desperate life and he seems like he's on the verge of change that he wants to change and not to spoil the movie but uh he can't he's right. he's stuck in the role that he's fit for himself, which is actually um, 
nice, you know, you always want the kind of redemption arc in, in narratives and in movies and books and things. And there's not like, he doesn't get, I mean, he gets the company, he wins, but he doesn't change. He's not better. His life isn't better. Uh, it's still as empty as it ever was, which I feel like is like the lesson of greed that yeah. you may get what you want. But that's yeah, it. Materially. Right. Yeah, materially. But, materially. but you know, not philosophically or spiritually or, or whatever. And perhaps we can we can take that up. I think the the interesting part, and and I think what caught my eye about that quote is that it has been institutionalized mm-hmm. into our culture. So this concept of whoever has the most when he dies wins, uh, which I think is it, it was poignant then and impactful. It's even more so now because I think it has become operationalized into our culture so the multitude of billionaires and i'm sure one day a trillionaire soon uh we're we're gonna we're gonna find ourselves it it is about you know and and perhaps it's metaphorically or uh, figuratively about whoever has the most when he dies wins it is this fear of what you know we're seeing in the world today, which is all this, you know, the, the protests and the supposed anarchy and, you know, just all the, all of that. There is a fear among the rich, I guess, the uber rich, that in order to survive and not capsize with the rest of us is that we've got to have so much wealth that we can do absolutely what we want. And, and, and I, I get, you know, again, as I was listening to a, a presentation this morning, and apparently there's a quote by uh, Lily Tomlin um, and, you know, and you know Gotham G. He was presenting this morning, and, and so he didn't know who Lily Tomlin was. Oh, no. He had the name on there. He didn't know who she was. <laughs> and uh, and the the quote is something about the rat race and whoever wins at the end we're all just still we're just rats yeah and I thought it was a a good way to to talk about this particular topic and you know following up on your point about loneliness so I've got all this money let's let's assume that at some end point you know way down in this horrible dystopia this is if we're not there now <laughs> you're the only one on the planet with maybe 25 or 30 others that have all this money and i mean i guess you're going to start this uber race or something I, you know i I'm just trying to figure all this out in, in yeah. terms of why why all of this hoarding uh and what is enough and I don't think anyone's going to want to put a number on that because everybody thinks they can be that person. Yeah. Right? Everybody thinks they can and, and have been sold that concept, right? And, and you know me, I'm an, uh, we talked about this, economic student. I believe in the free market per se, uh, but I don't, I don't believe in the corrosive nature and, and yeah. the corrosive personality that's taken on here lately sure and i i i think there's a a discussion to be had that i i I think what's fascinating is 
you can have and you can want to have things, but at what point does that start happening at the cost of others? What point does it become that Jeff Bezos is making his near, when I said nearly, when I said soon, on the trillion dollar front, like there's reports that he might be closing in on that amount of money. Um, at what point does it become great, nice that he has a trillion dollars, except he does it by making sure that his employees can't go to the bathroom? You know what I mean? Like, like at what point is it that you have so much wealth, but you only made it by making sure that other people don't have it or, or that are treated badly? Um, and I, I, I feel like that's the aspect of, of greed that, and, and of wealth that has to be dealt with. And ultimately, I think any society will, um, you know, ultimately try to reconcile whether through peaceful means or through non-peaceful means, as we can see, um, uh, you know, which bill, which billionaires out there are making that money by, you know, making sure that people are, are living well. Um, you know, in some strange way, I feel like Gates, who has not had, obviously, the best track record in the world, but has been doing a lot more of foundation work, um, you know, they sold their product for re relatively cheap to communities so that everyone could have computers, right? I mean, I, I you didn't go to school, like, I guess, in elementary and middle school in the, like, 80s, 90s, but... Um, there was like a period where it was like Macs and then suddenly everything was just Windows because every institution in the world ran on Windows. Um, so, you know, at what point are you taking well, the labor? Yeah, and, and I think, no, sorry, just to that point, and then you, uh, that wasn't by accident, by the way. Right, no, of course not. So that 15 <laughs> or 20 not. years later, everybody would have it on their desktops as well. But go go ahead, you know, so. No, but uh, I mean, you know, at, at what point is it that you're, uh, you get to live a nice, comfortable life and, you know, thousands, if not millions are suffering below you so that you can have nice things. And uh, at what point do we deem that as acceptable? And I think the, the myth part of that in American society is that, oh, well, if I come up with one really great idea, I'm going to be in the same position. And that's just not true. It's impossible. Like, those stories are few and far between. Yes, Jeff Bezos started a small bookstore in his, like, you know, local community or whatever and turned that into Amazon. Like, that's great. Um, you know, anything else you try to do now, you're not going to follow that model. There's going to have to be some new model that's going to come along um, to subvert that, ultimately. Uh, I also have sort of an odd point here, which is in, in Lawrence Garfield's case, who is he building this wealth for? Yes, when he dies, he's going to have had some massive amount of wealth. Um, but in the sense of he's sort of this lonely middle-aged man in the movie, um, you know, not to suggest that, like, he needs to have someone to pass that down to, but that's sort of one of the directions of wealth in society, right? Is that, you know, J.D. Rockefeller made however many billions of dollars in those days, his family is still coasting off of that money, you know, generations down the road. Yeah, I, you know, I think that, that that's, that's an interesting point. I think in his mind, as I, as I listen to the line and think about the character... Mm -hmm. It's literally about the number, 
Yeah. Right? It's he cuz he, you know, in the movie he goes on to say, you know, it's money that I love and it's like <clears throat> nothing else matters. And uh I I think, you know, going back to your point about Gates, he um you know, no ma- and I don't know what he did or if he did anything horrible and atrocious through all his years at Microsoft. I'm sure he did with competitors and the government and people oh, yeah. and bought out everybody. And, you know, and all that good stuff. So I can only imagine that he's now this is his, you know, penitence and and you know, he's he's repaying a debt either that he he feels like he owes or someone told him he owes you know it's the if he doesn't do that then it's it's much like you know Macbeth and and mm. Macbeth had killed Duncan and so he, he he you know he'd murdered sleep right he can't he's got so yeah. much guilt from all these years of whatever <clears throat> that now he's got to come back and do something that corrects those things and yeah. the the reality is is you don't necessarily correct those things if they're not genuine and who's to know whether what he's doing is genuine or not i mean some of it certainly seems like it sure who are we to judge who are we to judge right that that that, you know whoever your maker or non-maker is uh is is going to be the judge of that but i think that the with with larry the liquidator lawrence garfield he is just in it for the number so yeah. if he can know on his deathbed that he had the most at that time, then his somehow his soul will find you know yeah. total consciousness, which by the way will be another show, um, um, you know, and and that's it, that yeah. that's the, that's the end all be all for him. That if he's if he's the one with the most and he wins, and then whatever comes afterwards, he he can't influence. But at that time, if he's the one. That's great, and I think it's very much about that today. Uh, you know, although we sure. don't see it, I think in those circles, my guess is that you know the Zuckerbergs and the Bezoses and the you know Tim Cook's not worth anything uh, per se. Um, you know, certainly not in, in salary wise, but you know, and, you know, enter Elon Musk and others that have all these huge balance sheet net worths, right, on mm-hmm. paper. Because so much of their wealth is tied up in stock of their companies that, you know, but they're, you know, from what I hear, Musk is basically, he doesn't get a salary and he's just living off mortgages. So he keeps mortgaging his life and he's, he's using, uh, I don't know how he pays his mortgages. I don't know if he's paying it off. I don't believe that uh, Tesla has a dividend. So, you know, just, just you wonder where that takes a person and you know does it then pitch up another layer of greed and another layer of avarice and another layer of inhumane approaches to the work right because they know i've got to open this plan you know this whole thing with his fremont plan he was like i want to open it well he's got to open it because if not then his stock is not going to appreciate and he's not yeah. going to be able to go and buy whatever new house he was going to buy or you know, yeah. name his kid Axel Rose or whatever they named it. That was very strange. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the scary part of all this is, you know, the, the earlier point we we're talking, we have accepted this as normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
you know, and I think there are, even though we might say, well, look at him, you know, da, 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 but, you know, you read about it and it's glorified, and not just this greed part, but all the entertainment stuff and people mm-hmm. and how they, it's just, it, it, and you get caught up in it, you end up reading, you know, reading, <laughs> reading something, and I was like, why am I in People Magazine? Yeah. You know, it just shows up in your newsfeed and, you know, whatever, Apple News or um, that other thing that I read. Uh, and I I have to catch myself and go, no, 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 wait, 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 stop. Because you're just feeding the beast. Yeah. And that beast will keep devouring oh, yeah. whatever you give it. Yeah. And in this case, it's your attention, right? It's your eyeballs. Yeah. I think that was, um, I, I watched, uh, last night or the night before, um, Dave Chappelle's new special, which is brand, a brand new, brand newly recorded. It was called 846. Um, it looks like you recorded it like in a park near his house in Ohio. Um, I would not call it a comedy special. It was not funny. It was not meant to be funny. Um, he's a guy in pain who's been talking about this stuff as a comedian for however long he's been doing that. And, uh, he was talking about, uh, he made fun of Don Lemon, which Don Lemon sort of humorously responded to that Don Lemon was saying like, why aren't the celebrities out speaking? And Chappelle was like, why do you need us to speak? The streets are speaking for themselves. People are speaking for themselves. And we have come to rely on our celebrity class essentially in this country as some sort of moral compass um you know the the model we want to live our lives by um i i personally find it sort of on the the you know revolting side um you know but we do it in even if we don't do it in broad swaths we do it in our sort of small microfields right uh there's probably somebody in the like credit union banking world that you're like oh yeah i want to be like that person oh um, it's you know absolutely i can name like five guys right now that you know are always show up in the press or always on twitter and linkedin and yeah and i don't mean to to pile onto those guys i mean i'm sure they're 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 great at what they do and they but they've become this exactly this sort of celebrity class within that industry and people listen to them and you go well aren't you just jealous and i go well you know what no because i mean i've got to do my job regardless right would i want to be that guy i don't think so uh i don't don't think so uh and part of it is you know you're you, you can say you know i'm trying to help the industry or i'm trying to help this cause or whatever and the fact is is that the credit union people the movement can take care of itself you know going back to you know dave chappelle's point about mm. they're on the streets already they're being heard right yeah we're not gonna like not be able to think for ourselves in our industry to get done what we need to get done right yeah but the the the, the thing that's happened is is that we've been convinced that we lack the intellect we lacked mm-hmm. we lack the motivation we lack the vision to do anything ourselves unless it's coming from one of them right yeah so unless you know pick your big celebrity you know i don't know i don't even know 
Um, <laughs> and until they say it, it's not like it's real. Or yeah. That's, it's not truth. It's, oh, you know, some, some guy on some street corner that happens to be a, a community advocate said it. That doesn't matter. But if, I don't know. I came Beyonce. I, I don't know who who would be <laughs> who would be the <laughs> the spokesperson for the celeb- celebrities. No, I'm sorry, Beyonce. I'm not picking on you. You're just I'm, the first I'm name sure when up. she hears the podcast, yeah, show, yeah, I'm sure it'll get forwarded to her. Oh my god! <clears throat> oh my god! Uh, and so until then, it's not it's not real, right? Uh, yeah. And so, but it, once they say it, it, it gets all blown out of proportion, and everyone's fawning. And oh my god, she's, you know, uh, or he. <laughs> Again, sorry, Beyonce. Yeah. Nothing personal. Uh, the but they can they can get things done for themselves, right? And they are, yeah. and uh, and I, I know it's like that in the poetry world as well, where you've oh, got um, you know your your superstars and you you know, and I'm sure they've got a, a cult following and um you know um, <clears throat> throngs of uh, sure. middle aged women. <laughs> I don't I don't know who throws MFA. themselves. MFA yeah, students, MFA students yeah. that, that throw themselves at these people. But I remember once um, talking to my then advisor, who's uh, now a Pulitzer Prize winner uh, in the last couple of years, and he said, uh, I, I ran into him and he looked really tired. I was like, where have you been? And he's like, oh, Japan. I was like, when do you sit at home and like watch TV or read a book? And he's like, never. And I was like, well, this just isn't for me. Like as much as I idealize that person, obviously, and I, I think he's great and um, very lovable, wonderful person. It's like you know maybe that level of having to always be on is just not something that I'm willing to be part of. Um, that in some ways, as much as he's talented and worked hard, he's also have to he has to like give himself away. Mm-hmm. in some ways and he never gets that break and i think um you know looking at the personal tragedies he's had in his life since i think that he sort of understands that as well now that like he spent so much time on the road and doing other things that he he wasn't you know i, I think that's something that he's gone through and um you know i it's what is it you know it's it, the sort of rock and roll thing is you know in terms of like drug addiction is you know chasing the dragon and it's like we all have our jag- dragons that we're chasing uh whether that's success or or money or fame or, or whatever um i don't know for me i think to some extent it's like you know what i'm happy doing a moderate amount of work uh, you know in a moderate amount of time enjoying my life enjoying the people that i love um, you know, sit down and play guitar for several hours a day. If I don't feel like working, like it's fine. I just cannot imagine stepping that up and being like, okay, well I have to produce now in order to make sure that I get to that level. Like it's just, I don't know. And I think most people are probably that way that I think they, they may covet the idea of celebrity, mm-hmm. but ultimately, uh, I don't, I don't think most people would really want it. Um, once they actually saw what goes into it, that what you have to give up in order to have it. Um, so I think, again, it's that sort of, like, we see in Garfield, yeah, it's really cool that he's, you know, it's, I don't think it's really cool, but I think you could look at it and be like, wow, he has these nice things. He's, you know, 
you know, getting the, he gets to deliver this great speech about American progress and, and business and, you know, which I, I still love that speech, even though it disgusts me to no end. Um, and I, and then you look at it and you go like, and then what does he, he goes home to a chauffeur and he's not even excited about a slice of carrot cake. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that, even that minuscule thing does not bring him joy. And, you know, I think we spend most of our lives trying to find what brings us joy. And, uh, to to steal a quote from uh, Jack Donaghy on Thirty Rock, money can't buy happiness; it is happiness. And I think for those people, it really is happiness that 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 ability to do everything you want to control your environment uh, is wealth. It is the ultimate, you know, joy. I guess. And if that works for you, great. I just I don't get doing it at the cost of others. Yeah, I, I think that. You know, it's like any other addiction or kick, you know, and, and we learn about this all the time that, you know, you, you have to have it just to be normal, right? Mm-hmm. So the, and, and, you know, I think it sometimes it's not even having it as happiness because, you know, we talked about this, I think maybe in our first program, first episode, is that not having it is misery, right? (laughs) And so I don't know necessarily that having it is, is any more on the, you know, making me any happier, but not having it, that's miserable, right? So if I had to go from 20 bedrooms to 15, (laughs) what am I going to tell my friends, right? And my friends in terms of the rest of the United States are about eight people, you're whatever. Right. I, don't, I don't know how many people have 20 bedroom homes, but, and, and so the, it, it, it seems a little not, it, well, it, it's contrived certainly because, you know, the, the reality is, is that one or two or 10 or 50 more bedrooms is not going to make you any happier. But the thought of well, gosh, we had to give up five bedrooms, which was, you know, 25% of our home. That makes me miserable. And the, and not that you feel pity for these folks, you don't, because why would you, right? Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that we intervene, and this is probably where you and I differ, to change it. Uh, what you hope is, is that these folks... And, and yourself, so you don't get into that same frequency, find a way to cor- self-correct, right? Mm-hmm. And in that case, all you can do is work on yourself and not then worry about what these other folks are doing, right? And I think that's where we, just by the fact that we're talking about them, right? We're, we're having yeah. a, a rather detailed and emotional conversation about greed and, and, and avarice and, and uh, having the most when one dies that, that, that's also a piece that needs to be addressed you know if we all worked a little bit more on ourselves if it's possible how would the world would the world be a different place mm. I, I don't know the answer to that and, and, and again it's probably unrealistic to think that we're all going to just turn around and stop ourselves from undertaking whatever 
our own greed is, right? Because we, we have levels of greed too, right? We want oh, things and have desires and all these other things. And so uh, we're thinking in, in our own context, well, I've got the most or she's got the most and I'd like to have that and da-da-da-da-da. And in the, in the scheme of things, from a universal perspective, it's not even a, it's a, it's a part of a drop of a drop in a very, very large bucket. And we blow it out all, you know, we blow it out a proportion. We think, right. wow, this is the cat's meow, and it's just not. Yeah. Um, interestingly, I feel like this all leads into my question. Uh, the question of the week, yes. So I have felt that you have been on a sort of, not a religious journey, but mm. a spiritual one for... Mm. Most of your adult life, I would say. Maybe not all of it. Um, at least, uh, let's say, the last decade and a half or so. You think, yeah, it was like 10 years. Um, where does that Where did that begin for you? I, I, you know, I'm not on that journey, I feel like, in some ways. I don't get it in some ways. I make fun of you for mm-hmm. it in other mm-hmm. ways. Uh, not that I don't respect it or obviously love you to death, but uh, sometimes it's just very confusing to me. Um, so I'm wondering if you can kind of explain it a little. Is it because in my mind it's immediately like, well, does he feel like there's something that's missing? Is it you know is he trying to fulfill? Is he is he trying to you know in in the case of Lawrence Garfield trying to find that one donut? That like, will you know, make him really. <laughs> when do you, you have know, to be hungry to have a donut? Exactly. Like he's trying uh, to fill a void, right? Like, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that you have one or, or that you ought to have one. I mean, I guess we all do. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where does that begin? Yeah. So it's a it's a great question, and I think it does fit into this week's topic uh, quite a bit in terms of how do you go about self change, right? And and really working from the inside out and really not even out but just on the inside and so i'll take you back to when this story started and it actually started in like 1976 (laughs) (laughs) so i you know and and again for those that uh you know are are listening for the half dozen of you or so that are listening so i came home from a book sale you know they said book sales or whatever at school they didn't even call them that maybe they did i don't know uh, but they used to sell other things, and so I came home with a religious artifact, uh, one that's traditional religious artifact in this country, and mom, uh, uh, like a necklace with a cross on. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's I've never. And heard this was before you, know. you were born, of course. Obviously, you know, yeah. it was five years before you were born, and um, she was, uh, pardon the pun, she was a bit cross with me, and. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if I returned it or what, but, and so, so I, I, again, that was 1976, that was 44 years ago <laughs> that I even remember <laughs> that, right? So it obviously was very impactful. So I've always had this thought that, uh, you know, call it God or Yahweh or whatever, uh, which by the way is a, a line from a movie as well. The that there's some aspect or, or sliver of, of God or spirit or whatever in each one of us. have always thought that. Hmm. I've always thought that. didn't really get into the sense of organized religion and 
you know, sitting around and, you know, an hour in our culture, Indian or Hindu culture, you know, sitting around and, and praying and singing songs and, and this, that, and the other, and, and, and didn't have that devotional piece, if you, you know, now that I look back on it. So, got married in the late 90s uh, to a very old-fashioned, very re- religious woman, right, and um, who, who did have a lot of that uh, devotion, or what we call in Sanskrit as bhakti, right, this, this, um, and in almost 10 years ago to the day, like today, uh, today, this, hmm. like one of these weekends right in here, hmm. uh, in June or July, uh, a friend of mine who I'd met through the credit union that I worked at in New Jersey, he was one of our vendors. He invited me to his house for, um, uh, you know, one of these call them satsang or gatherings or lectures or whatever and uh, I think it was the second one but I've been to one I was like eh not very but then he invited me back and my current guru or teacher uh, Gautam Jain was there so 10 years I can tell you 2010 we got to New Jersey in 2009 and uh we, we met him, and he, he gave a very, in fact, he had a, a, a public lecture this morning, and knowing, you know, knowing that I've, I didn't even let you know about it, because I knew, you know, that you probably, you've heard him before, and you know what it's about, yeah. and, but it was very similar to that sa- same bookends, right? So, interesting that you asked this question today, hmm. and so, well, listen to him, one thing, obviously a big thing, I, born in India, raised here, but I don't understand many of the, the language and, and some of the other cultural aspects. It's certainly not Sanskrit, right, or Hindi even. I speak our native language in the house, but I can't read or write. And so Same. Here, here, we, here we have an individual that is speaking about spirituality in very much the context in which I'm familiar with it personally, this sort of sliver of, again, God, Yahweh, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call it, that resides in each one of us, and he's doing it in English. Hmm. Really good English. You've met him, right? So, right. And, you know, he's, he's very articulate and, and uh, can be very forceful uh, in his, his approach. Uh, and so uh, it just resonated with me and so we've been studying uh, the along this path for the last 10 years and so was it you know was it something that was missing I don't know if it was as much as something that was missing I, I think for all of us and again we talked about it in that first show this this void, why do we keep running after the world, much like Larry the Liquidator, keeps running after the world and wanting to consume and consume and consume because there is this spiritual void within all of us. Again, how you fill that void, it's, it, it's really up to you or maybe you don't because you don't believe there's anything there to fill except for maybe getting something else from the world, whether it's another degree or another car or another wife or husband whatever it might be to fill that void I happen to believe kind of Amish in hindsight 
that what got me there in 2010 was that void. I just didn't know it as that. Mm. So that kind of came post facto that, oh, why were you chasing this? Well, because you, you had this void. You, and, and so, you know, call it kismet, call it whatever. Uh, you, you ended up where you ended up because you were trying to fill that void. And and it's been a, a, a great journey for 10 years, and I have been up, I've been down, I've not paid attention. The last 90 days uh, has been much more pronounced. I've been very regular with my morning studies and getting up. And, and I think, again, this whole COVID thing has, has provided a, a room for that and space for that to... To really study what's going on inside as opposed to everything that's going outside because I don't really have a choice I don't yeah. have to I don't interact with the world as much yeah. uh, and and I'm able to sit here and, and reflect and contemplate and um, so yeah I don't know if that's that's what you were looking to to get yeah. I don't know if I answered everything no I mean I, I think um, I think you did because it's you know, I, th- I think in some ways we have sort of a weird upbringing in the sense that we were um, always kind of on the outside of a very spiritual community in some ways, mm-hmm. a very religious oh, sure. community growing up in, you know, uber Baptist suburban Atlanta, like everyone I knew with the exception pretty much of my like closest friend uh you know everyone was in this kind of you know people were going to church it was this big community sure we were always on the outside of that and then I always felt like whenever we went to India we were on the outside of that because we didn't belong there so um I'm working on this in terms of my own approach to writing is that you know where how does one exist when you're always in the wrong place um but I, I remember very distinctly, for me, sort of funny um, story as well, if it's all right. Um, I was six or seven, maybe, and it was the start of summer. And uh, I think, it, was it Cecilia uh, Booth, who lived down at the end oh, of the yeah, street, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was a, you know, a strange, strange woman. Is she rest um, in peace, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but she drove up and she, she stopped the car and she was like, do you want to play softball? And I was like, yeah, well, okay, like that's kind of weird. And she's like, well, our church league plays softball, and they need somebody else to play. And if you'd like to come play, so I, you know, I went in. And I told Dad, and he was like, oh, that sounds good. You know, I think that Mom and Dad were always sort of up with anything that got me out of the house during the summer. And um, the first thing Dad said, uh, well, the last thing Dad said before like the first game was, by the way, if they pray or anything. Just go ahead and do it. You're not going to get in any kind of trouble. And that has always stuck with me as like something from the sort of Hinduist, you know, aspect of it is like, well, you're not going to get in trouble for doing more. You just get in trouble for doing less. Like no right. one's going to fault you. Right. Right. <laughs> and I, that's always stuck with me is like, uh, just do whatever you can so you don't seem like the odd kid out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to some extent, I feel like that's still a Well, that's our life right, right there, right? Just yeah. be normal so you're not the odd kid out in a very odd arrangement, right? That you were, yeah. you kind of fell into, right? As a, a me as an 18 month old, you as a newborn. And so it, uh, you know, I think that the, 
so so you know what have I learned from all this that uh, you know this this concept of universal agape unconditional love is what really is the piece that makes the difference and by no stretch of the imagination have I gotten there yet right yeah. I mean have my own biases and own hang-ups and things like that but it's not a it's definitely not a sprint um, it's not even a 10,000 meter <laughs> it's a marathon <laughs> if not three or four and so I, I think there's a lot more wisdom that will come from this journey you know I think you know, go back and forth oftentimes about how much more knowledge uh, do I need about it because I'm I'm at a place where I believe the fundamental tenets of this this path and this teaching it's the it's the application piece of it now that I'm working on hmm. and and that's the that's the hardest part you I mean you yeah. can plan a project all you want putting the project into motion and executing it that's the tough part yeah that's the tough part and so uh you know so I'm also uh my, mine's probably the backwards so my, my concept of of winning is whoever has the least when he <laughs> dies wins just a note to say that this podcast is available from apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, breaker pocket casts radio public and spotify